It's so good, and it's so good to see everyone. And we want to say, if you are new, we want to give you a huge welcome, whether you're connecting online or you're here in the room. I want to uh, give you a huge welcome. I've set my timer going. I don't want to talk for too long. But I, I want to start. I've got two questions for you this morning, two questions that you can think about in your, your mind, but you can, well, here, here we go. Here they are. The first one is, what's your biggest temptation? Uh, you don't have to shout them out, but what's your biggest temptation? Or, or what has been your lockdown temptation? Maybe you could tell the person next to you or put them in the comments or put them in the chat. What's been your lockdown temptation? Or another question might be, um, what area of your life would you say that you're least disciplined in? You know, um, we can be tempted by all kinds of things in life, can't we? Um, Tempted to overeat, tempted to comfort eat, tempted to overspend. Maybe lust is your biggest temptation. I bet you didn't tell anybody that, did you? What about if your biggest temptation is to criticize or gossip or demonize others? Maybe you say to me today, Paul, I've not got any temptations. Well, I know your biggest temptation is pride. Uh, Like, there it is. Because we're all tempted, aren't we? Uh, I mean, I don't know if, if you're like me, anyone like me, but if I see things, I want them. Now, there were a couple of people in the first service that actually agreed, but maybe I'm on my own today. But if I see things, I want them. I'm the advertiser's dream. In fact, Jeannie and I had to get rid of Alexa. We had to get rid of Alexa because we'd be talking about something, and then on our Instagram feed, our social media feed, those things started to appear. Anyone else experienced that? Garden furniture, paint, barbecues, TVs, coffee machines. So we said, this is Alexa's fault. We've got to get rid of Alexa. So I gave Alexa to one of my sons, and maybe they're having the same challenge that I had. Some temptations and desires are relatively harmless in our life. But we know that excess or failure in some areas can destroy us, can actually can destroy a life, a marriage. Sometimes they've destroyed careers, futures. Even our health can suffer through those. When we're tempted... We've always got the opportunity to do the right thing or to do the wrong thing. And that's what I want to talk about today. Do the right thing. And I don't know about you, but I need some wisdom to help me to do the right thing. Um, I don't know if that's your experience, but I do. I need some wisdom to help me. So I want to start with some verses from 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 and 13. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church and he says this, he says, if, you're, if you think you're standing firm, be careful. Be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to all mankind. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I love that, that God will provide a way out. You see, we are, we're all tempted, as I've said already. We're tempted sometimes in our weak moments, but we're also tempted at times when we feel strong. We can, we can be tempted when we feel everything's going well. Temptation can be a powerful enemy. Yes, an enemy. And if you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus today, you know, you don't get an exemption from temptation, do you? I mean, pretty and handsome people are still pretty and handsome. Like when, when you become a Christian, it's not that you stop noticing 
handsome and pretty people. You're still tempted. Cheese is still the best invention ever. <laughs> like anybody with me? Oh, I tell you, I had some Gruyere cheese this week. It was divine. Heaven is going to be made of Gruyere cheese. The moon isn't made of cheese, but heaven is. Come on, you know it. You know it. Don't get religious on me. Lubatinis are a work of art. Some of you are saying, what are Lubatinis? Well, it's not a foodstuff. But we've all been there. We've all had this thought, you know, a new something, a new relationship, a new person, a new thing, a new whatever. It'll just make my life better. If only we could live like this. If only we could have this. We'd be so much happier. To be tempted is to be human. After all, it's right there at the beginning of our stories, how our story starts, and it's never left. You know, but we're not just tempted by stuff, by lust or greed, but we're also tempted by groupthink. We're tempted just to think the, the way the world thinks, the way our society thinks, the way everyone else thinks. We're tempted by peer pressure. Honours, the people in our world, the people of a similar age or a, a same, some social link with us, we're tempted by the pressure. We're tempted by anxiety. You know, like, what if? And we are tempted to think about the worst that can happen. And right now in our culture, it's a cultural tsunami, anxiety and depression. And I understand it. I get it because there's lots of things to be anxious about in this moment, in this season. I mean, the human experiences is we live and then we die. I mean, that's something to be anxious about, isn't it? But temptation can lead us on a path to do the wrong thing, on a path that isn't a way to human flourishing. And Solomon had a lot to say, and I want to drop into the wisdom of Solomon today to find out what he had to say about temptation. Solomon is talking to his son who he wants the best for, just like God wants the best for you and for me. And he writes to his son in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 10, and he says this, My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. Solomon, as I say, just like God, is wanting the best for his son, and as God wants the best for us. And he says, I don't want you to do the wrong thing. I want you to do the right thing. I don't want you to give in to that pressure, that, that, <clears throat> that, that thing that comes from those around you. No, I want you to do the right thing. Yeah. Solomon also could have said to his son, hey son, you know how I know this, don't you? Because there have been times in Solomon's life where he'd done the right thing, but there would be times that he'd done the wrong thing. I mean, Solomon is the guy who says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Only later in his life to lean on his own understanding and not trust in the Lord. So Solomon can say to his son, you know how I know this son, don't you? Someone who did the wrong thing may well have done the right thing first. That's true of people in our marriages or our careers or our relationships. Even in relation to church or even in relation to our own heart. And that's why Solomon agrees with the Apostle Paul who in the verses I read earlier says, be careful. Be careful, because even when you think you're standing strong, just watch out. Just be careful. I'm not, I'm not sure that I think too much about being careful. What about you? I mean, I want to think about being carefree. More than being careful, I want to be carefree. 
I mean, I, I, I've kind of, I've not resisted. Obviously, I've obeyed, but I've not wanted lockdowns. And I've not wanted to wear masks. I've obeyed because that's the guidelines. That's the government, government telling, telling us what to do for the good of all. But I've not really wanted that because I've wanted to be carefree. I've not wanted restrictions. But the Apostle Paul said, be careful. He had more to say about it. Ephesians 5 and verse 15, he says, be very careful then how you live. Be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And so it's wise for us today to consider these things. Well done today. Well done. You made a great decision to be in church or to connect online today, to think about doing the right thing. Well done. You made a great decision to ask me to talk about these things today. So Solomon gives us a few steps, a few things that I want to dip into today. Three instructions to help us live the life that God has for us, a life of flourishing. Let me read what he says. They're great verses. They're in Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. My son, still talking to his son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and you cry aloud for understanding, and if you would look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. And find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. And from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And I love this bit. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just. And protects the way of his faithful ones. Just got three ideas. Three thoughts. Three instructions from Solomon to his son and from God to us as his sons and daughters. Here's the first. He starts with this thought, accept God's word. Notice the word accept. Accept God's word. Because accept makes me consider whose word am I listening to? Whose voice is the loudest in my life? Whose opinion am I accepting in this moment? It it might be my mum or my friends, or a professor. It might be the word of my studies. It might be some philosophy. It might even be the desires of my heart. But Solomon says, my son, and God says, accept my words. You see, I want to ask you a question today. Does God know best? Does God know best? And maybe you've settled that in your heart or maybe you've connected with us today and, or maybe you're here in the room and you, you've not yet settled. I'm not sure if God knows best. I hope that you can settle that in your heart, that God knows best. Solomon is talking about accepting God's perspective, God's diagnosis, because it's so important for us. We need to accept what God says, his diagnosis, his prognosis. We need to accept God's solution in every situation of our life. See, I believe it's important to call a thing what it is. We live in a society and we put up so many smoke screens today, don't we? And in the face of truth, we call it spin today. And with this so much spin around, when anything is said, we're not quite sure if it's true. We're so used to it, we don't even blink because we're not quite sure if anything is true. Not this last week, but the week before I spoke to my MP and I like my MP and he's become a little bit of a friend. A couple of people 
from Icon Church have worked for him for, from time to time. And I spoke to him about the race report that was commissioned by the government. And I, I'd sent him an email and said, you know, I'm disappointed with the findings because it doesn't reflect the experience of many people in our community and in our society. And he decided, and I, I, I really honour him for this, he said, would you talk to me? And so we were on the... I was going to say on the phone, but what's a phone? We were on Zoom for 45 minutes talking. And uh, <clears throat> we were talking about the report. You know, the, the report takes over 260 pages to get to its conclusions. And I just realized again that human intelligence allows us to argue a rationale for anything. That we can see something happening, we can see an experience, and we can make a counter-argument through our human intelligence allows us to do that. We can justify almost anything. And I understand it because I've done it. I've done it because when I was in Bible college, um, I would get into the common room theological arguments and often I would argue the opposite position to what I personally believed. And I would do that for two reasons. Here's the first. The first reason was pride because I just thought I could win the argument. Well, I'm glad I'm not that person still today. <laughs> that was a long time ago. But that's my confession. It was my pride. But the second reason was that it helped me understand my position to challenge my own assumptions and my own conclusions. You see, I believe we can only see change in society, but we can only see change in our lives if we will let that smoke screen down and if we will properly name things as they are. Jesus spoke about this in John chapter 8, verses 31 to 32. It says, to the Jews who had believed in him. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus is telling us that truth sets us free. And therefore, God's diagnosis, God's solution, God's prognosis, God's opinion, if it's the loudest in our lives, will set us free. We're seeing today a rise of sentimentalism. You know, we want everyone to be happy, and that's a noble goal, isn't it? I mean, the opposite, we want everyone to be sad. No, that's not a noble goal. We want everyone to be happy, but we think that they and we can only be happy if it's in our way and on our terms. Well, the scriptures teach us that true freedom is found in Christ and his truth and not necessarily in my truth. You see, sentimentalism ultimately liberates no one. I wonder today, where do you and I struggle to accept God's perspective? Is it on some area on how we should live or how we should serve or what we should give, how we should worship in our relationships? Whatever area it is, I want to suggest as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, that's your next step to accept God's perspective on your life. And this acceptance, this humbling of ourselves, this laying down of me and my opinions is the power move in following Jesus. Without it, there's no change. But with it, we can be truly transformed. I want you to imagine that you go to the gym tomorrow and the trainer says to you I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased to see you George I'm really pleased to see you because I've discovered the power move 
I've got this one move. Maybe it's a lunge. Maybe it's a stretch. But I've got this one move that if you did it five times, you'd burn, you'd burn one pound. You'd lose a pound. Not a pound in money, but a pound in weight. So therefore, if you... Oh, this is terrible now. I've picked on George. What the rest... <laughs> Sorry, George, the rest of this story doesn't go well for you. <laughs> so therefore, 70 of these lunges, and you lose a stone. 140 lunges, and there's your pandemic weight gain gone. Uh, sorry, George. I don't know about you. I want that gym membership, don't you? I want that secret sauce. I want that one move. Well, Solomon says, this is it. This is it. Accept these words. Accept God's word. Humble yourself. And that's what God is asking us to do, I believe, today. To forego being dismissive of God's perspective or the temptation of other things and accept God's diagnosis on our lives and accept God's solution because he wants to give us life and life to the full. That's the first thing. Accept God's word. The second thing is store up his commands. Store up his commands. Uh, David said this in the Old Testament, Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Two verses earlier, he said this, how can a young person stay on a path of purity? That's a great question, isn't it? And then he comes with this conclusion, by living according to your word. That's how a young person can stay pure. That's how a young person can stay on a path of purity, a path that leads to life by living according to your word. And my question is, what's our plan? What's your plan? What's my plan? To have God's word living and active within us. To have God's word as the lifeblood that's coursing through our veins. Imagine that. God's word as the lifeblood for our life. The, the, the thing that sustains us. The thing that gives us oxygen. The thing that causes us to live in any situation. You know, a few years ago, a survey was conducted amongst a lot of Christians in America. And the survey wanted to know what, what was the difference between Christians who seemed to grow in their faith and discipleship and mature over the years and Christians who didn't, who seemed to slip back. And it categorically came out with the major difference was the word of God. And the role of God's word in that person's life. That was the number one reason for growth. That these people who were growing and moving forward in their faith were engaging with God's word. They were regularly committing themselves to hear God's word taught. But also they were regularly reading God's word. Storing it up in their hearts just like Solomon said. They had a personal engagement with it with a view to try and live it out. I want to ask you today, have you got a plan? Have you got a rhythm, a holy habit that allows you to store up God's word in your heart? You've talked as Icon Church, haven't we, about reading Jesus every day. We've talked about the first 15 or, or taking some time where part of that time is we just store up God's word in our heart. The scriptures talk about meditating on God's word, contemplating. God spoke to Joshua about this, actually, just before he was to lead the nation of Israel out of the wilderness and into the promised land because God knew they'd be tempted to forget him. 
and they'd be tempted to forget his instruction. They would think like all humans might think, we've made it. We're successful. Look at us. We're in the promised land. And so God speaks to Joshua in Joshua 1 and verse 8. And he says this, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything in it. Then you will be prosperous. Then you will be successful. You know, God says that to Joshua. Solomon says that to his son. And the scriptures talk about us thinking, (coughs) meditating on God's word in so many circumstances. They talk about thinking about God's word when you lie on your bed. Like Jeannie can't do this. Because the moment Jeannie goes to bed, she falls to sleep. Anybody else like that? I mean, I don't go to sleep straight away, but Jeannie, she lays down in bed, gone, snoring. Like, she's away. But the Scriptures talk about, think about the Scriptures when you lie on your bed, when you walk down the road, when you talk to your kids, when you're on your Strava run. I I don't know, whatever it is for you. Don't get condemned because other people do something different to you. Find out what works for you to store God's Word in your heart. You know, my goal at Icon Church this year would be to help produce some resources that would help us. But listen, you don't need the resources. You've got the scriptures. All you need is a rhythm, a habit, a schedule, a place. And we could all find that in our lives. Solomon said, store up the commands and seek wisdom and understanding. Store them up. God says to Joshua, then you will have good success. Not bad success, but good success. And I'm up for that, aren't you? Do something to store up God's word in your heart this week. Create a rhythm that works for you. As I've said, don't be condemned because somebody else is doing whatever they're doing. Find what works for you. You know you've started your week super well. You know that, don't you? Because you're in church today. You're in God's house today. You're listening to God's word today whether you're connecting online or you're in the room well done today but store it up Solomon says store it up because you don't always need it when you read it you need it when you need it that's quotable isn't it you don't always need it when you read it but you need it when you need it store it up in your heart Because then you'll be in a place, in a position, excuse me, and a promise, a promise will pop out for you. Hope will fill you. In the midst of hopelessness, your soul will find a resonance of hope. Peace will be your portion. When all around you is anxiety, and all around you and raging within you is anxiety, you'll know a supernatural peace. A peace, Paul calls it, a peace you can't understand you'll know it. It comes from having God's word stored up in your soul. And the last thing Solomon says, he says, accept God's word, store up his commands. And the last thing is ask for help. Let me read a few verses again, Proverbs 2, 3 to 5 and 7 to 8. He says, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver, And search for it like hidden treasure. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. And you will find the knowledge of God. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. 
and he guards the cause of the just and protects the way of his faithfulness. He holds success in store for the upright. He's a shield for those whose walk is blameless. Don't you love that? You see, God is never trying to hold out on us. It's not that God wants something from us. God is, has always got something for us. And he says to us, call out. Cry aloud. Seek God's ways like you would seek for treasure. I believe it's time for the church to be passionate about seeking God again. It's passionate about seeking God's ways. I think it's time for passionate disciples. You know, the most attractive thing about church is not light, smoke machine and big screens. And we're not going to give them up. But the most attractive thing is radical discipleship. Radical followers of Jesus. People who want to do good, who want to see the kingdom come. Who want to create an environment where people can find healing. A place where people come in and they know and sense the power and presence of God. And find freedom and victory. I'm believing that this message is life-changing for someone today. I'm believing it'll kindle a fire in somebody's heart today that will never go out. I'm believing that somebody is going to hear a call to serve God today. Trust. Well, I want to give my final thought to the Apostle Paul in a, from a famous passage but it's a surprising passage because nowhere does he talk like this. Nowhere else does he speak this candidly and openly. It's in Romans chapter 7, verses 18 to 25. And he says, I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am, Paul says. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, I love Paul's honesty here. I love how he's, he's real. And he says he has this battle constantly and that he only finds freedom in Jesus. You see, because Paul says there's something I can do. I have agency. I can seek to do good. I can have a desire to do good. I, I, can, I can do something. But then he explains perfectly what I think the human experience is. He says, but I always fall short. I fail. My strength, my will, my agency is never enough. It proves insufficient for me, Paul says. So I need something outside of me to help me. I need some strength, some agency, the will of another outside of me to help me. Who will rescue me, he says? Who will deliver me from this death? Thanks be to God, he says, who delivers me through Jesus Christ. You see, when we fall short, Jesus picks up the slack. When our strength fails, his strength never fails. What we cannot do for ourselves, God has already done for us in the person of Jesus Christ.
I'm not sure I should quote Kanye West, but as Kanye West said a few years ago, it's on God. Jesus can deliver us. He's all we need. If Paul has the final thought, then I'm going to give James, the brother of Jesus, the final word. James, because he's my favorite. Sorry about that. All the other apostles and everything. His name is actually Jacob, but I'll explain that some other time. But James, let's call him James because everybody does. Let's give Jamo the last word today. James chapter 1 and verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Maybe today you need wisdom. Wisdom about future plans, decisions. Maybe you need wisdom in your life, or are you just going to do what feels right to you? James says, ask. Ask because God gives generously. Solomon says, cry out passionately. Call out. Seek God, Solomon says, like you would seek treasure for his wisdom. And God will give it to you generously. You see, there's no shortage on wisdom. The ships delivering wisdom are still sailing. Wisdom is not stuck in the Suez Canal. God has got all we need. Maybe I'm speaking to someone and you're in a situation right now and you're facing something. And this is a word for your life. It's a word for this moment. It's a word for you right now to seek God like you would see treasure. You need treasure in this moment. You need treasure in this situation. And this is a word for you that God's word in your heart can be the strength you need. That Jesus can deliver you where you feel your strength has run out. That can be a word for you. Solomon says, accept God's word, God's diagnosis. Maybe in some area of your life or our lives, we've resisted that. This is a moment for us to turn, to humble ourselves, to bring down the smoke screen, to stop justifying doing the wrong thing and accept God's word in our life. To store up his commands, have a plan to meditate somehow on God's word. It doesn't have to be elaborate. Just create a rhythm, a pattern, something you do every day or most days of your life to let God's word into your heart. And I believe it's a moment for us to seek God, to passionately ask God for wisdom and understanding, to passionately ask God for revival to call out and to cry aloud, to seek God like we would seek treasure in this moment. And then, and then God says, we will have good success. Let me pray for us as I close this morning, church. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come. Come into our rooms, whether we're at home, or we're here in the gathered community of your people, Holy Spirit, come. And my prayer today is that you will make us hungry, hungry for your wisdom, that we will not just make our plans, but that we'll seek your plans, that we will store up your word, your thoughts in our hearts and in our minds, and they'll be stored up to be that freedom that comes in those moments when we need it. I pray that we will accept your voice as the loudest in our lives today. I ask that in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, we are hungry. 
We are hungry and we are thirsty for more of you. Fill us. Fill us today. In Jesus' name. Amen.